Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Chills. It's a funny old week. It's a funny old world. Quite where this podcast will go this week, I'm not sure, but that's a little bit like life at the moment. And to help me sort of ascertain where we are and what's going on, I'm joined by my old mucker, as usual, Mr. Andy Saunders. Andy, hello. All right, you're like a bus, aren't you? You know, I don't see you for months on end, and I see you twice in two days. Ah. You, your life must be feel enriched, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to see you yesterday, but I'm sure we'll come on and we'll talk about that. Absolutely. No, absolutely we will. And we will try and ascertain what the hell is going on and what we should actually be thinking about the whole situation. Because it's very hard in so many areas at the moment to really work out where we are as a football club and, mm. and what we have surrounding the issues that have been going on this week and... Uh, the the uh, the overriding issues that have been dominating the world news. Um, to join us, we've got a man who is um, known to many as ex-footballers, as a, a strange New Zealander, and now as a young American footballer. It is, of course, none other than Gary, a man of one or two sort of voices. Hayes. Captain Hello, Peterborough. Gary. Captain. Hey, it's me, Christian Pulisic. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. How are you, Gary? I'm good. Since since Christian Pulisic appeared on this podcast, his form has gone through the roof. Well, uh, yes, this is an interesting discussion we might have because so, there's some people who said he was awful in the final uh, against Liverpool. Um, I thought he did some really interesting things and... You know, he tailed off. Uh, It's getting 90 minutes out of him. But you're right, Gary. Ever since he heard what you had to say, 
he's changed as a player. Well, what, when I say he's just gone through through the roof, it's not that he had a high standard before then, is it? But he's certainly improved. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Well, so so I I guess where does one start? Well, well I suppose we have to talk really about the news um, that uh, with you, the U- Ukraine situation and Russia going in, the world was changed uh, and dramatically so. And perhaps for people like ourselves at Chelsea, it's something we've always been curious about because we do have a Russian owner and we've always wondered where that might lead us again. And we're kind of halfway down a road. We don't know where it goes to. So I, I, I don't know. It's really hard. I mean, Andy, you know, we were asked to go onto a, a national radio station to discuss uh, our views as Chelsea fans on Roman Abramovich. Would you say that at this moment in time, and this isn't meant to sound like fence-sitting, because we aren't aware of all the facts and the, and what's going on, we know there's this stewardship thing which we'll come to talk about, we're, we're hearing today that he's trying to broker a peace deal, none of it is, is clarified. As a PR person, you must look at those. I mean, we we spoke when the when the statements came out, and I think you were very quick off the mark to go. Yeah, they say a lot, but actually they say nothing at all, and we don't really know where we are. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't go on that on the national radio and talk about our perspective, could we? Well, uh, I don't think it would have been appropriate to do that. I mean, one of the reasons I don't like going on those national radio stations and talking about Chelsea is. I don't want people to think that I'm trying to speak for all Chelsea fans because we have such a divergence of views and opinions uh, within the club, within the fan base. It always rankles me a little bit when a, when a you know, a, a representative of a fan group or a representative of a podcast goes on and, you know, even if they don't intend to, give the impression that they're talking for all supporters. And I've had lots of conversations over the last 24, 48 hours about the Roman Abramovich situation. And what's emerged is quite a diversity of opinion about it. My opinion's pretty clear, I think. Um, I think that we need some clarity from Roman Abramovich. The statement, as you says, says nothing. It's a very skillful, uh it's a very skillful statement um that that basically doesn't say anything. In fact the both statements don't say anything. The second statement is thoughts and prayers and that's perfectly fine. But neither of them really address the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is is Abramovich still close to Putin? Is he still part of that inner circle? Does he condemn the actions of Putin? Does he condemn the actions that have led to the war in Ukraine? Describing it as a conflict, I don't think helps anybody because that does give the impression that it's two sides having a conflict. This was an invasion by an aggressor to a sovereign, democratic European nation. And we need some clarity from our owner that he refutes that and he and he uh that that he's willing to you know to stand up and do it now sorry to go on a little bit because this is a complex situation we know that that's very difficult for roman abramovich we know that the uh idea of him coming out and um and saying anything that's anti-putin is dangerous for him in the situation dangerous for him and dangerous his family so i i totally get the fact that he's trying to be careful about this however that doesn't solve the long-term problem and the long-term problem is do we have an owner that 
you know, um, unfortunately, people think is in the pocket of Vladimir Putin. Um, and if he can't confirm and deny that, puts him in a very difficult position because we do, I think we do, and I'm not speaking for all Chelsea fans here, but I think as a club, I I think we need some clarity from him about what side he's on here. That's my view of it. I, I would I would agree with everything you're saying there. And also I would say there are a lot of people in Ukraine who are having to make difficult decisions about what happens to them in life at this moment in time. So I would agree with you. We do need some clarity. This this idea that he's brokering a peace deal, we'll see how that works out as well. I don't think we can just say straight out, well, I'm I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I don't like this. We do need clarity. I think clarity is the key word. Clarity is the key word. And also, you know, I don't think blind loyalty to our owner solves anything. I mean, I don't like blind loyalty as a concept any, anyway to anything or anybody. I think you should always question. I think you should always poke things and have a look at them and reflect on them and ask questions and, and ask difficult questions sometimes. I mean, I think that that's a sensible thing to do. And if you can't do that, what's the point of having free will? What's the point of having freedom to do that? If you can't ask those questions uh, without being shouted down, you know, what, what's the point of, of living in a democracy and having free will? You know, we are not Russia. We can ask these questions. We can say to someone, we need you to pin your colours to the mask here. And as I say, if he can't do it for his own safety, I totally get it. But that doesn't solve the situation. And it, and it makes things really difficult. And I just want to say as well, football, football in, 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 the, uh, in the context of what we're talking about is insignificant compared to what the people of Ukraine are going through. Uh, and I want to make that very clear that, you know, my, my thoughts are with the people of Ukraine. Football takes a very much a, a you know a backseat a backseat to that you know and I, I I you know and I, I want to make that very clear. I also want to make clear the fact that you cannot conflate the owner with the fans. You cannot paint us all as some you know Russian supporting mob because we're not, or at least the, I think the vast majority of us are not. You know, and what the owner does and what the fans do are very very different things. We were fans of this club before Roman Abramovich. I'm sure if he leaves, we'll be fans of the club after Roman Abramovich leaves. I think he's been a great owner. I hope he stays. I hope he clarifies his position. Yeah, okay. Well, th- I would agree with all of that that you're saying. Um, Gary, I would like to bring you in here. Sorry, you've had a bit of a wait here. but um, Yeah, sorry, what- guys. That sounded like a bit of a rant. But- well, you know, we're kind of used to it on here, so it's <laughs> fine. You know, people know when to make a cup of tea. No, no, look, all joking aside, there, there's nothing I'd, I'd disagree with. Gary, your thoughts. I'm interested as well how you view this because you're Chelsea through and through. You're also a journalist. How do you view the way this this narrative is being told at the moment? And are you concerned about how we get to the reality and the truth, if we can? Uh, I think it's starting to come out, isn't it, already? I know we're talking about facts and and clarity, but when we're talking Monday and you look at what's already um, developed today... What's developed today, Gary? Well, so I'm I'm on the BBC website now and there's there's the story about it and um, there's the uh, Ukrainian film director and producer, Alexander Rodney Yansky. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And his comment is, and I guess this is sort of a sign of, you know, politics in Ukraine, the fact that, you know, the prime minister is who he is and, you know, sort of it, it works maybe a little bit un- unconventional con- compared to what we're used to in in uh, Western Europe, right? But it, he's obviously at the front of it with 
you know, other influences in, in Ukraine. And he says about this Abramovich brokering a peace deal or trying to, or whatever his role is in that. Um, it says that um, I can confirm the, the Ukrainian side have been trying to find someone in Russia willing to help them find in a peaceful re- resolution. They're connected to Roman Abramovich through the Jewish community and reached out to him for help. Abramovich has been trying to mobilize support for a peaceful resolution ever since. Although Abramovich's influence is limited, he's the only one who has responded and taken it upon himself to try. Now, that's just someone talking who's at the heart of it. I don't know whether you can take that at face value, right? Well, that, that's I think just... that's the key, isn't it, Gary? I think that we, you know, when you're in a wartime situation at the moment, psyops and misinformation and misdirection are all huge parts of modern warfare. Um, now, I'm not doubting that, that that this story is true. I'm just saying we need to be cautious about yeah. the source of it and about what what's being said, because not a lot's being said in there. You know, it's again, it's a very clever um uh, way of basically saying you know Ro- roman is, is is trying his best but there's no so, so concrete what, what, evidence in there what he goes on to say is that if this will have an impact or not i don't know but i am in contact with Zelensky's staff myself and know they are grateful for his genuine efforts again we don't know how genuine this is or what but i know the reason i made the point of saying this on the bbc website as well again it's not coming from you know, um, 4chan or somewhere like that, that someone is, um, you know, Ukrainian no, no, know. anonymous know, but... saying it. So I just, I look at it and I just think we, we don't know what's going on. So he's put out, a, it was a weird statement on Saturday. And then after the game, when the game started yesterday, I messaged Kerry. I just said, you know, I don't know if Kerry said the same to you, but I was like, oh, okay. It makes sense why he put that statement out on Saturday night because the Chelsea players bringing out the reefs they did um, you guys wouldn't have seen it. I don't know because you were at the game, but Bruce Buck and um, Marina are there in the Royal Box clapping in that minute's applause. And that, if he didn't remove himself from that, that's happening in his name. Yeah, because he, yeah. by virtue of the fact that he's the club owner, so he's he's tried to remove Chelsea from the political conversation, right? For whatever reason, we don't know. And obviously, in this situation, as it plays out, we'll sort of see why that is. But just looking at this... I'd like to think, and again, it's not blind loyalty or anything, but I'd like to think that he is using whatever influence he's got. You know, this guy, um, I was looking him up earlier. He's just a, you know, he's a Hollywood player. He's, you know, produced films like Sin City and stuff. I don't know what his connection is to to Abramovich. And I, I don't understand, you know, the nuances of the Ukrainian political system that a film director is able to talk publicly like this. I, I don't understand that. But the fact that they're putting Abramovich in a positive way, um, I don't, and then you, you see the stuff about his daughter, the way his daughter's come out and she's condemned everything that's going on and she's been very vocal herself. So you start looking at it and adding it up. And I'd like to think that the BBC are running this story knowing they can validate what's being said there. They're not just going to run this flippantly. I don't think right? they can validate it though, Gary. You don't, they don't have to validate it to run it. because they, no, they, 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 they can just still fact check it. it. Yeah, but they, yeah. they can still fact check it. Well, whether we, they we did or not is... Whether, whether they did or not is, is, is kind of moot, really. The, the fact of the matter is... Um, I'm with you. I hope it's true. I hope this is signs of of Roman Abramovich, you know, really um, making an effort to uh, to distance himself from the appalling actions of of Russia and Vladimir Putin. I mean, I think that's the key thing. We need to see him distancing from it. If he's just a lackey. 
for Putin. And I'm, look, just don't get me wrong. I don't think I don't think this, but if he is just a lackey for Putin, who's going in there and and being a kind of stalking horse for other stuff, then that's kind of even worse. I mean, Vladimir Putin is saying he's he wants peace talks on the boot on the border with Ukraine when we all know that's just a preamble for you know further invasion. So listen, all I'm saying is that we this is all misinformation. It's all PR. It's all spin. I mean, ultimately. I want to reiterate, I'd like Roman Abramovich to stay. I think he's been a magnificent owner. I think he's done amazing things in the pandemic. I think he's been brilliant with the anti-Semitism, anti-racism work that he's done. There's, there's an awful lot to like about him beyond the glory that he's brought our club. However, I want the uh, owner of my football club to publicly distance himself from this maniac in Russia. Otherwise, I just don't feel comfortable about it. No, I would, I would totally agree with that. And well, I, I agree, and I would, but then I, it goes back to what you're saying, Andy, isn't it? It's just that we, we can sit here and say that, but it's very difficult to do that when you're in the position that he's in. The, well, that's the one thing I'm I find saying. interesting but, but Gary, about that, him, that's what I'm saying. So it doesn't solve the problem, does it? I understand. The one, the one thing I find interesting about Abramovich is that, yeah, and, and there'll be people that are far more qualified than me to talk about this because it's people that, you know, in journalism especially, that have, have followed him away from football in a way that I haven't. But I find it interesting that he's, you know, um, he, he set up his home in Israel. He, he's very much put his roots there now in the last, you know, four, five, six years. He has become, an, you know, a citizen of Israel. Um, he hasn't just stayed in, in Russia and, you know, planted himself in Russia. Um, yeah, obviously the way that he got his fortune is always going to be, you know, speculated about it's going to be questioned it's come about at a time that was this great period of upheaval for russia but just because he got his fortune one way doesn't mean he's conducting himself that way now right no it doesn't but you do have to wonder what kind of i mean and i don't know i'm with you i'm I'm not an expert you do have to wonder what kind of patronage you have to pay to someone like vladimir putin to maintain that fortune and to have got that fortune in the first place and i I think that's the that's the concern is that how 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 much how how in the thrall of putin is he for whatever reason you know and and i want to see him distance himself from it and i, I know it was difficult in- and i know it's dangerous but if he can't i think potentially this is the end of the abramovich era yeah I'm, if, it, I, if like, it is as well i'm not too bothered if it is gary can i come in <laughs> just watching you two back backwards and forwards um i think there's there's so many things here that we need resolution on and whether whoever lives wherever that doesn't mean that things have changed for them we know that people move around the world we know the one thing i would say about abramovich if he can't show us where his fealties lie then that will be it for him and chelsea and what the implications for chelsea would be in that situation i don't know We're none of us can buyers no, we're not no, going to exactly. be short of buyers. We're not. But it just depends if they're able to buy within the situation that, that has been created. So I, w- I would say, look, we would love Roman Abramovich to prove himself to be a fine leader who makes a fine decision about brokering peace and that we see this as a reality. Until then, everything we talk about is purely conjecture. And, and I think that is why we're not, for or against, we're waiting, and we're we waiting. Have to and I don't wait. want anybody to think that what I'm saying is anti Abramovich. It's pro club, and I, I just want to say, look, I do this for a living. Don't trust anything that you read at the moment on face value. 
ask questions, probe, reflect, and then make a decision based on, on, on that. But don't take it as face value. This is all part of the game at the moment. And that's why I always get in touch with you to just see what you make of it. And I always say to you, you'd have been happy with that one, wouldn't you? Because that, oh, I thought the first statement was an absolute masterclass in saying nothing. You know, I mean, listen, I think it's been handled yeah. very well. If that's what you want to do, if you just want to kind of, you know, the, the, the whole steward, we're handing over the stewardship. There's no legal precedent for any kind of stewardship. It means nothing at all. We have to see where that comes from. But it's very clever in terms of shifting the narrative, changing the nuance, changing the emphasis. And you're right. I think we, we probably need to move on now because, you know, yeah. we've made ourselves very clear. We could go around in circles on it. Gary, I think you've got some really, really good points on that. I hope you're right. I hope this is you know, the start of, of Roman coming out from under this cloud. I, I, I genuinely hope it is. Well, what I'd we, say just quickly on it is what, what concerns me is I know we're talking about something that seems to be positive. And again, we're waiting to see what happens with it. You've got to take, try taking it at face value. But what does concern me is that that statement comes out on Saturday and it strikes me now as being knee-jerk that something's happened where he's done that because he's like, I've got to do something because you've got Seb Coe and others that are just like, we didn't even know this was happening. We haven't even been consulted on this. So what, I think what he's is going on? About there? the sanctions, I think that's probably what it is, and how it will impact the club, and how it will impact his own personal possessions and 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 interests. So I think he's he's basically done it to kind of shield the club, and that, and that's a good thing. And you know, obviously, there's a commercial element to it, but he's clearly trying to distance himself and his position from the position of the club. And I think you know we we can be grateful for that. And I think that's a that's a wise move. Now, whether he's done that out of love for the club or whether he's done it out of commercial interest, we don't know. But it's a good positive thing and we should applaud it yeah but it, but it means nothing generally he's still going to be making the decisions he hasn't handed over any shares he still owns the club 100 percent. i can't believe that they're going to be making any major decisions uh without his without his input yeah all right well look let, let's move on we, we should move on because there has actually been some football played this week <laughs> and uh well lille lille in the champions league that's that's where we should go um how did you see this one, Andy, on the, on the way into the game? Uh, and what did you think would happen? And were you happy with the way it was? Well, in answer to all three of those questions, I think we discussed it, didn't we, on, on the kind of preamble um, or, or on the show last week, sorry. Uh, and we all felt that Lille weren't the greatest of sides, that it was actually quite a good draw for us. Uh, and if we played well, we would win comfortably. And I think all of those things came true. Lille, you know, they were OK. They had some some decent moments, but they weren't. They weren't great. They weren't Malmo poor, but they weren't great. And uh, I think we probably should have had a few more goals than we did. But, you know, this was a comfortable win uh, and, and a, 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 you know, a good position to be going into the second leg with and, and hopefully passage through to the quarterfinals. Uh, and Gary, were you slightly concerned that yet again, it was one of those games where for great periods of the game, we dominated, but didn't seize control and convert it into chances. It is the story of the last couple of years. How concerned are you that, this is actually starting to really bite us badly. We, it was fine. As Andy says, Lille were a much weaker side. We allowed them back in the game. We still managed to control it. Yeah, it's it's not a concern as such. It's something, I guess you're just used to it, right? So you sort of just forget, you, you don't get concerned by it anymore. But it is something that's got to be addressed because we'll get to the Liverpool game, you know, a game that we should have won or we could have lost, but I guess we should have won it as well, that more clinical players that are more 
um, lethal in front of goal would have won that game, would have been out of sight, right? Um, it's, it's just, it baffles me how we can be like this and still win trophies. Mm. I think it shows sort of why we we faded in the title race, right? You get found out over 38 games, the cliche goes, which is fair enough. But um, it's, it's frustrating. Um, but then, like we, we, we were saying it last week before the game, that we have this strange ability to sort of level ourselves based on who we're playing. If we're playing an average team, we sort of play average against them. We don't really blow teams away. And then we go and play Liverpool and we can match them as well, you know, because we sort of raise our game or we reduce our game. And it just sort of fitted into everything we said it would. Yeah. Um, we should have been out of sight. The tie should be over by now. And they've still got a little... We, we've left them hanging on in there just for the drama almost. No away goals though. So, uh, and no away goals as a concept either. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, as we discussed I last hate week. That. Well, I like it. As, as, you know, as I said last week, two That's games, best team wins, you know, and I think going in a 2 0 uh, uh, to Lille, you know, it would have been easier if we'd have got away goals because we could just go and score one goal and then the game would be outside. But, you know, I, I genuinely think that. You know, we can go over there with a two-nil cushion and, uh, and and play within our within ourselves and 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 win quite comfortably. So, I think it's a good result. I think the goals were good. I think you know Havertz Havertz is elite in the air as he proved. Uh, great goal from a corner, and you know Pulisic did well as well. It was a really really good game from Pulisic. Really good game from him. <coughs> yeah, I mean that that is the the man. I think we should talk about uh, talk about before we go into the halftime break, Gary. Talk me through Christian Pulisic against Lille. Well, he just showed, didn't he, that and I guess he knew he had the the beating of his opposite number, but sometimes a player needs that confidence to realise they can still do it. Um, but I think you just see him, when he gets the ball and he runs at players, he's so agile, he's so dynamic, and he can skip past them. And when that happens, that stretches defences, it pulls players out of position because the player inside of him knows he has to go and cover. And I think that when he plays like that, that is the Pulisic that I think can go on to become something better than he is right now and someone that's got a future at Chelsea. And I know we're not talking Liverpool just yet, but I think when you see you know, the talk has been one of Chelsea's attackers will have to go this summer, not Lukaku, but one of those inside forwards. And I think when you look at it, I know it's two games in isolation, but you look at it and you just think that it's a reminder of what he can do. And I think that that puts him in the conversation to be one of the players that does stay. And I think that the one who now should be looking over their shoulder is Werner because I don't think he's good enough to be the main man in the middle, but he was bought to be a starter. And I don't think he's better than the inside forwards that we have. So he's sort of becoming the lost man almost. And I think that Pulisic playing the way he has over the last couple of games, it just shows that he's got that capability. He has got that skill. And when he plays in his position and plays to his strengths, you see what he's capable of. Now, can he do it? for the next six to eight weeks and actually do something that secures top four for Chelsea and carries us deep into the Champions League, that remains to be seen. But I think what we've seen the last week or so is a reminder of what he can do. Andy, would you say that there's something about certain players, you just have to play in a particular position and you can't ask them to play out of position. It seems quite a modern thing that players have to play somewhere they're not per- perhaps best suited for or somewhere they don't like. Do you think that's fair? Well, I think it is fair. And, uh, you know, we we spent a long time under the tutelage of jo- Jose Mourinho who almost pathologically played players out of position. 
um, uh, you know, almost a great delight in playing players out of position. So we, we're kind of used to it. In Pulisic's uh, case, I think you're right. I think he probably does need to play in that position. Uh, against Lille, he had a lot of space. As Gary said, he had the beating of, of, of his man. Um, you know, they weren't great defensively. So, you know, it was great to see him playing with Verve and uh, flair and creativity and, and grabbing a goal. Um, but again, as Gary says, he needs to do this consistently week in, week out now. And that's always been the issue is like we have these little moments where he he flares brightly and you go look at the skill of this guy look at his pace look at his feet he's a great finisher look at all this stuff and then the next week he'll be anonymous and you know we'll come on and we'll talk about the final I don't think he had a particularly great game in the final but if he can put a run of games together playing with speed and thought and creativity and finishing then I'm all for it. You know, what's also looking, he's looking a little bit stronger. doesn't look like he's going to get injured every time he gets tackled. And that's also the key as well to, you know, to be robust uh, and to show some um, resilience when he's playing. Uh, that's all the things I want to see. But I think Gary's right. If he can demonstrate that, there's never been any doubt about his talent. It's whether he can deliver it week in, week out. Fair enough. Well, on that note, uh, we are going to go for a commercial break and we'll be back after this. And we're back. Okay, we're going to get on to the game, the cup final. My first game of football in over two years. I was Tell so the listeners excited. that aren't regular listeners why that is, Gary. Well, because uh, there was COVID and then I had an aortic valve replacement in my heart followed by a hernia operation. So that's why I haven't been going to Chelsea. I'm not just a plastic. plastic. <laughs> Someone for a heart condition, he picked the best game to come back for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know what? It's really weird because I think you said to me, Andy, was it weird coming back into a football ground and uh, and what have you? And I think I've just said to you, no, it just feels like it always does. It's really strange. I was kind of apprehensive driving down to London from the Midlands, parking up, going to the game. Going on a bus. All that sort of stuff. And it just, yeah, I went on a bus, a number 18 number? bus from Halston to Wembley. 18. Number 18. It's the best bus. No one's ever on it. And after the game. Bit while everyone's fighting, I don't. I shouldn't be giving these trade secrets away, but uh, it's a it's a great bus. Um, it's it's kind of a crazy bus as well. Um, I, I had uh, some very strange people sat upstairs on the way back, but I'm not going to go into it. It was all too weird. But anyway, the Ross Barkley I, bus. He's number eighteen. Well, they, they, he would have been. Yeah, he was driving it. Uh, so, best so, thing he's know. done all season. It, well, it was. It definitely was. But no, I mean, just being at Wembley, back for football, I felt a bit guilty that it, I was like a glory hunter my first game back as a final. But it, it was wonderful. And what was great for me is those players I've never seen play in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Okay, like who? Well, I've, I've never seen Thiago Silva play for us in the flesh. Really? Timo Werner, Kai Havertz. Wow. That all long. these players. Yeah, it has been that long. So, you know, it's... You were quite uh, grumpy, though, weren't you? No, I wasn't grumpy. I was just taking it in. I was No, you was were analyzing. grumpy because people wouldn't sit down. Well, so you, you moaned about I'm always back. grumpy, Kerry. <laughs> Kerry was wondering where the cheese board was as well, probably. Well, you're ordering <laughs> Jackie you for the kettle, sandwiches the kettle time, on. Kerry. Actually, oh, I, I did actually imagine. have that in my pocket. I, I, had, I had homemade soccer 
with ham and cheese. You know, very, very nice. Honestly. Wanting Lulu to come over and warm his feet. Honestly, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Lulu is my dog, by the way, just in case Not anyone the Scottish goes, singer oh, from the 1960s. No, no, exactly. But it, it was, it, it was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful occasion. My, my quick summing up, and we'll go on to things, was if you're ever going to lose a game, but still enjoy it, lose it 11-10 on penalties, having witnessed 90 minutes plus the extra time of two teams going toe-to-toe, showing everyone how good football can be. And I know I've said it in the past, when I was a kid, and I'd liken it to this, we played Tottenham in 1971, and it was one of those games that was pulsating like this, went from end to end, and in the last three or four minutes, Alan Mullery scored two goals for Tottenham. And the headline the next day in the paper was, Game ruined by goals. <laughs> and and, I, and that is kind of how I felt yesterday. In a way, yeah, look, of course I wanted us to win it. I wanted us to score. But as an advert for what football can be, it was magnificent. Without goals, it didn't matter. It had all the drama and intrigue that you could ever, ever want. So, yeah, it was, it was a great return. And I shall be back for Newcastle now at Stamford Bridge and finally sit in my new seat. So, Andy, the, the team, were you happy with the team that he put out? Well, I suppose the, the, the kind of the, the big shock was uh, was Lukaku on the bench uh, for the second game running. Um, Mendy in goal, we knew that that was going to be the decision. And obviously we'll come, we'll talk about the uh, the late substitution of the goalkeepers. But uh, Mendy was always going to come in for the final, even though Kepper had got us there. Um, uh, Chalaba coming in uh, was interesting. Um, I don't know, and I still don't know what the situation with Christensen is, whether he was injured or whether he was just... He was injured. Out. Oh, he was injured? Okay, that makes Ach- sense. Achilles injury, they said. Okay, fine. So, so Contract Chalabra. injury. Well, that's what we kind of, we, we you know, we mused about that. But if he's injured, he's injured. That kind of makes sense. Uh, Chalaba, Silva, Rudiger, you know, no surprises with the other two there. Uh, Kante and Kovacic as the, as the double pivot. Uh, Alonso and Azpilicueta as the wingbacks. Uh, Mount and Pulisic sitting behind... Havertz up front, uh, who'd worked, uh, you know, particularly well in uh, in the Lille game. So, um, you know, not any real surprises. I was a little bit sort of eyebrow roused about about Lukaku, but I was kind of half expecting it. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't surprised to see that. Actually, I think I think he looks a man. I think you're finally seeing Kai Havertz start to understand the English game, his role in the team what he can do and what he can bring he's starting to mature what do you think Gary? I thought that was his best game in a Chelsea shirt yeah I haven't been completely bowled over by Havertz I know obviously he scored two goals that have won us two of the biggest trophies you can win um, or the two biggest trophies you can win <clears throat> um, but he again he's been a bit like Pulisic has in that you've seen the flashes of brilliance but he hasn't done it consistently but if you're judging him on the last week, he's been incredible. And I think that the way he, you know, some dickhead or mates with messaged me earlier saying, oh, did you see uh, Van Dyke stared down Kepper after his penalty? You don't mess with big Virgil. And I said, oh, what? Like Havertz did when he was completely roasting him throughout the game. Completely bossed him. So-called best, play- best defender in the Premier League. Okay, mate, you just got roasted by Havertz, who's playing out of position. Um, I just think that, and I don't know what you saw watching it in the stadium, but watching him on TV, I know you see a different game, but 
I just thought he was in the right place all the time when he needed to be. He led the line. He, he didn't drift too far out wide and leave the spaces in the middle when he would look up and no one was there. There was great communication with Pulisic and, and Mount. So whether they're getting the understanding, those three together. But I just thought everything about the way he played was the way you need him to play in that position. And we've spoken before, haven't we, Kerry, when you said about, is it really a false nine? Because he's actually playing like a nine. And obviously people will label it as such because he's not a striker, so they'll call him that. But I think he's growing into a player who's redefining his position and what you expect of him and sort of the way that you see him as a player as well. Um, and judging that game in isolation, I think that maybe this talk of the talent of that he is and that what Chelsea be getting, we're starting to see it now because I hadn't seen it up until this point. But I think then seeing that, seeing the intelligence that he played with, and the way that he marshaled that Liverpool defence. He had Matip running all over the shop. Van Dijk getting confused as well. I, th- I thought it was an amazing performance. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, Andy, were you, was it, when the Kaku came on, do you think it changed Havertz's game for, for the worse? It, it kind of, I don't know, it, it just felt different, didn't it, up front? When, once Havertz had to move to the side, a little bit. Um, you know, I just want to echo how good Havertz was. I mean, I've always liked, I mean, I've always been a big advocate of him on this. You know, I mean, I've always liked him. I like what he brings. I mean, the only problem with Havertz has been where do you play him? You know, what, what's what's his best position? There's always been an element of like, well, we don't know what it is. And, and I think that this attacking central role is, uh, whether it's a, whether you call it a nine or a false nine, whatever you want to call it, the attacking central role where he's at the point is, is I think, probably his best position. Um, did it change you when he came on? Well, we knew that Mount wasn't going to be out of complete 90 minutes coming back from injury. Um, so you'd have to change it. And I actually think bringing Lukaku on, which almost worked by the, you know, by the, by the I didn't realise how close it was, Kerry, did you? You know, no, the, no. the offside decision. <laughs> For the goal. I mean, it, was it was his just, hand, wasn't it? Oh, it was his elbow. It was like, yeah, you know, it was... Elbow. Yeah, I mean, it was... Cra- I mean, you know, we didn't know in the stadium, Gary, how close it was. We just assumed he was, you know, miles Miles. I, I felt for him as well, because it was a really good run. and um, Really good finish as well. Yeah, and not and this isn't to, um, you know, to point the finger at Chaloba, because it's not the sort of ball you're expecting to put, but he held onto the ball just like half a second too long. If he'd yeah. released it just before when Lukaku wanted it, it would have been in. Um, but it's just one of those things. But it was a, it was a good bit of, uh, bit of movement for him and showed what he can do when he plays the way that he wants to play, right? Yeah, and he was playing against the high line, which he liked. And, you know, there was a moment where he's at the near post. He flicked one on that could have gone in. You know, I mean, he got himself into some decent positions, threw himself a little bit. I mean, Havertz's role was different. I don't think it was worse. I think he, um, you know, he had to adapt to a different role. I mean, the other thing about that game was it was a full-on intense game. I marvelled at the fitness of those players. I mean, particularly Alonso. I mean, Alonso, I thought, was magnificent in that game. Man of I mean, the match. I thought he was brilliant. I mean, beyond Mendy, he was he was man of the match. He's been you know, due performance, think. isn't he? And he puts it in at Wembley, which is yeah. great. I mean, he was a, he's a big game player. You know, we, we do know that he's a big game player. Um, and, you know, he, he, he really showed that. I thought he was fantastic uh, out there on the left. I mean, we know what his deficiencies are uh, defensively, but he does give us a huge amount going forward. And I thought, toe-to-toe, I thought he won every battle that he was in. Defensively, he was yeah. really good. There, there was, he was good, but we know, where... we know generally that, def- that defensively he's, he's deficient, don't we, sir? Yeah, he was tracking back on Salah. Yeah, he took really care impressed. of Salah, though. Yeah, Salah absolutely. was pretty anonymous in the game, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I mean, yeah, look, it was one of those games where certain finals are always strange things anyway. Certain players never quite get it together. But 
the person who did get it together, apart from one clearance, which, as I think you said at the time, Andy, he's always got one bad clearance in him every game. Edward Mendy, I mean, that double save. I mean, we were right side on, level with his arms, practically, weren't we, Andy? So you could see how incredible it was, because some of the TV perspectives don't show just how far he came across and how much he had to do to stop that that second shot. He was incredible. Gary, I mean, how did he come across on TV, Mendy, for you? Yeah, very good, very good. And I, I had thought this before Gary Neville said it, is that he would have been disappointed with the way he parried the shot from Cater, yeah. but the way he got up so quick to react. I think if that was up the other end and it was Kelleher, there would have been headlines written about it all today. Um, I think that he's still underrated. I don't think there's enough being written and spoken about of him because his performance was was very, very good yesterday. Top, top goalkeeping. I've been watching football. I've been watching football for fifty years, over fifty years, and I'm going to say I think that's the best save I've ever seen. I think it was insane, you know. And you know, from a Chelsea goalkeeper, I'm talking about. Um, I mean, I thought that was an insane save. The second save to to react that quickly, get down, get his arm in that position. I just think it was it was supernatural what he did there. Yeah, it was. It was. It was spooky stuff. It, it, one thing I really like about him is, um, and I don't know if this is something you picked up on, but and you see it more when you're at the games. But the way he, um, I, I, I want to see the stats on how many goals we conceded from set pieces because we used to be really fragile on set pieces. But and I don't know whether it's something they've done with him on the training ground or whether it's something that he's grown with confidence. But you see the way he is on corners. He comes out and stands on the six-yard box. So it pushes that line up a bit as well. But he's really aggressive in the but fact that when that ball's come, coming in. It doesn't come for the ball as much as you think he would. He doesn't. Do you know what I mean? It's interesting because we were watching it side on. My son actually made this point. He was like, you know, watch Mendy at corners. He doesn't come and grab the ball as much as you think he would with his physical presence. And I said to him, well, when was the last time we had a goalkeeper that did that? And he said, Courtois. Courtois was brilliant at it. But if you look at Czech, um, you know, and you look at Kepa, and you look at Mendy, they don't dominate grabbing the ball from corners. They don't. But I think that's because with Courtois, they're putting the ball over him. Whereas with Mendy, because he's stepping up so much, they're putting teams are starting to put the ball to the penalty spot. So he's not going to come out and be. Yeah, so you I know, I get that. I, I think you're right, Gary. I, I'm just saying that, you know, he he, he does get things organised, but we are very organised on set pieces generally. Um, but yeah, and, and, he, and he is a presence in there. You just think he'd catch more balls in the middle, I think. But just, just by being that, he steps up maybe two foot or one foot. And it means that when they're delivering that, they know if they're putting it in six yard area where they've got a player attacking that ball the keeper's got it it's in it mm. and they know the keeper's going to get the free kick so it's forcing the corner back almost now I don't know if that's him or if it's something they do tactically but I really like seeing that because it just yeah. shows the sort of aggression you want to see from a goalkeeper because people think goalkeepers have to be these passive observers but they're not and him just by playing like that it just sets it forward where they have to step back a bit cool yeah. yeah, okay, no. so, so look, something else that I'd like to talk about, Mason Mount. Now, he's had such a frustrating season, mm. um, but he also had the two greatest chances you'll ever see in a cup final. Um, how do we reflect on Mason Mount, his performance? And I remember you always used to say, Andy, he needs to score more. And this was 
a case? Was it rustiness? Was it just bad luck? Because both of them he was onside for as well, which mm. at the time we thought, oh, was he offside for that one? Uh, and he wasn't. How did you think about that, Andy? Big fan of Mason Mount. think he's going to be at our club for years and years to come. Future captain. He, there's, you know, and, and and potentially a future legend. You know, I think he's he's got it all, that kid. Um, he has had some injury concerns this year. Um, his runs are fantastic. His energy, his commitment, his intelligence. I mean, it's all there. But he should have scored two goals yesterday. And he'll know that. And there's no point beating him up about it, particularly the one that hit the post. He's got to score that. He has to score it. Um, and that's the difference. You don't take your chances in situations like that. You don't win games. And I know that's a massive football cliche. Um, so I think nobody's going to know that more than most amount. Nobody's going to beat him up more than himself. Um, and hopefully he'll learn from that and he'll work on that. And I get the sense he is a player that reflects on his performances uh, and we'll learn from it and we'll try and develop it. But the run for that was fantastic. Just needs to put it in the back of the net. Goes in, I think we win the game. And, you know, two, as you say, two really good chances, but particularly that second one, he's got to score. Um, Gary, how did it seem? Frustrating, I think I would say. Not cross with him. You know, I'm just frustrated that, you know, that he didn't do it because I think it would have been a brilliant moment for him as much as anything else. Gary, what was it like watching that on TV? Because you'll have got a much clearer idea of those middies. What your thought? I just agree with Andy. He's got to be putting them away. I'm just looking at his stats now. He hasn't, he hasn't scored since the 16th of December. That's not to be putting him down and being overly harsh, but it's sort of endemic of the players in those inside forward positions. We, it's not just singling out Mount. We speak about Pulisic. You know, we speak about Werner. We speak about Ziyech, Havertz. They just don't score enough goals, and all of them are guilty of it. And I think that they just need to be more clinical and they need to be more um, dangerous in front of goal. And it shows that they got the capabilities of putting themselves in those positions and mount yesterday, you know, when it hits the post, it looks like it's going in and he makes a clean connection with it as well. He does everything right. It's just not clinical enough. And so Gary, Gary, how do you make, can you make a player more clinical? Yeah, of course you can. It's not a comparison because he's the guy who brought him through, but you look at Frank Lampard. And he got where he did just through hard work, determination, the psychology of it. You know, having a manager come in like Mourinho that turned... It's funny because Mount's got seven goals this season. I think the season before Jose came in, Lampard had scored seven as well. And I just think that it just comes down to how they work on the training ground and how they build the players up tactically so that they know that they're allowed to shoot because sometimes they feel like they can't shoot. Um, but then when they're getting in those positions, they've just got to they've just got to be better. They've got to work on it on the training ground. They've got to get themselves into that mindset to be killers. And I think I don't it's think... a mindset thing. I think you're right. I think it's psychological. I don't, I don't necessarily think you can teach the technique. I think technique, you've got it or you're not. Although Frank Lampard, as Gary says, was famous for, stand, for, for staying an hour and a half after training and working on free kicks and finishing and getting one of the youth goalkeepers to stand there while he, you know, while he, while he did one-on-ones with him and all that stuff. I mean, that's what Frank did. He just worked really, really hard, maximised the talent that he had. And I, I get the sense that, that Mason's similar in that mindset. Frank played a more central position. Um, you know, he, he played p- potentially in a, in, in a more effective team in terms of, you know, creating chances for him arriving late. Um, but doesn't get away from the fact that, you know, if you're going to play in an attacking role like Mason Mount does, you've got to score. And if you don't score, you've got to create assists. And and at the moment, 
he needs to up that and he's needed to up that for a while. I don't think it's not a criticism of him. It's just part of his development. Um, and it's a part of his game that he just needs to improve, I think. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll go along with that. Um, so, okay, let's get to the nitty gritty. Uh, we're coming up to the end of extra time and we know it's going to happen. We know Kepper is going to come on for Mendy. So there's two points. We know it's worked in the past. But is it a bit unfair on Mendy? Because actually Mendy may have as equal a good a chance of saving a penalty, but it's the mindset now that Kepper is the penalty man. Um, I don't know if you saw Jamie Redknapp's uh, critique on it during the uh, the football commentary afterwards, and he just went, it was rubbish. It was a rubbish thing to do. I mean, it's really insightful from him. But he just kept saying, it was rubbish. Gary, uh, what did you make of it? And is it just one of those things? It didn't work out this time, but it has done in the past. Yeah, I'll just look at it. I'll just think that, you know, even on the athletics today, they I've got the alert. I haven't read it, but it was like breaking down Tuchel's decision to, you know, put... And I'm like, why didn't you do this for breaking it down for when we did this in the Super Cup and we, and we won and it worked out? The reason Chelsea lost isn't because of Kepa. You know, it's, it's not because of the decision to bring him in. And when you look at the data, um, like Naz tweeted, where he said, look, there would have been a massive data set as to why they did this. And the stats were something like Liverpool had a 98% chance of scoring, according to the stats, if Mendy was in goal. With Kepper in goal, they had a 71% chance of scoring. Now, if Chelsea lost on penalties yesterday because, and Mendy was in goal, we wouldn't have lost because Mendy was in goal. But everyone would have been going, oh, they had the extra sub. Why didn't they bring Kepper in? And if Chelsea had won, it's, it's one of the one of those things of like it would have been a genius decision again to bring him in. Um, I just think that as well because it's Kepper, the headlines are being written, you know, because people were thinking maybe do we bring Kep that would they bring Kepper in and stuff, and people wanted it to happen because of it sort of bookends it, doesn't it, with what happened in Man City? And there was a a scummy Daily Mirror journalist who was like, I love the narrative, and I'm just like, okay. Here we are as well. Let's just get a grip here. Here we are in a time where everyone's saying about compassion and care for people and mental health. And now these same journalists that are pushing that, right, are coming out with the same bollocks where they're like, oh, now let's go to town on this goalkeeper for what happened with him, where you're asking a goalkeeper to keep you in a cup final by taking a penalty. Now, I know Keller, Keller has scored his, but at the same time, he's got less pressure. He's a young goalkeeper that no one expects anything of, whereas Kepper, obviously, it's a bit flit, but... I just think Chelsea didn't lose the game because of him. You know, you, you could go to any moment in that to say why Chelsea maybe didn't win. But I just think it was a good decision from Tuchel. It was a decision in the same way of, are we lamenting the fact that Lukaku came on and played up front? Because for the fact of an elbow's width, Chelsea would have won the cup because Lukaku would have scored. You know, I just think that there was so much emphasis put on it because we lost. But when we won the Super Cup, everyone was like, mm, yeah, okay. They brought a goalkeeper in, they won. So what? And Hasselbank made the point on Sky... When he said, you know, Holland normally lose penalty shootouts, but Van Gaal did the thing where they brought Tim Crew in and they won. And then he's lauded as a genius. It's one of those things, you know, it is on a, the flip of a coin, right? I just think it was a good decision. And if Chelsea get in that position again, and the data says that Kepa's got more chance of saving a penalty if he's still at the club, put him in, do it again. Because it worked against Villarreal. This time it didn't work against Liverpool. Who's to say it won't work next time? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean... It's one of those things. Sometimes a substitution works, sometimes it doesn't. But Andy, I, that is now four domestic finals on the trot that we've now lost. Everyone talks about us being a cup side. 
Are you concerned that we are losing some of these big occasions at the moment? I'm not putting that one down yesterday necessarily as a loss. We didn't lose the game. We lost the penalty shootout, you know. And when it goes down to the goalkeepers, I'm sorry, you're in. You're down the rabbit hole at that point. You know, it's a, it is a flip of a coin. I can't agree with Gary. There's nothing I can add to what Gary said. I think he's absolutely spot on. You know, if it had worked, Tuchel's a genius. If it doesn't work, fits the narrative, you know. So let's move on from that. It is what it is, you know. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm not concerned. Listen, we won the Champions League. We won the Club World Cup. We can still world finals. We're still winning stuff, you know. Yes, we've 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 lost a few domestic uh, games. We haven't been battered in any of those games. You know, I've always said cup competitions are a lottery. You know, turn up on the day. You want it more on the day. You perform well on the day. Um, you win. And if you don't, you don't. You know, that's why the best team always, always wins the league because it's about consistency. Cup is about what happens on the day. You know, that was an absolutely brilliant game of football yesterday. Absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, it was an absolute cracker. Uh, it's the best nil-nil I've ever seen. Um, and, you know, as I say, we didn't lose the game. We lost the penalty shootout. And if we'd have won it, I would have still said it was a great game. And I think as soon as you get down to the goalkeepers, anybody seriously expecting anything but, you know, anything but, you know, a 50-50 flip of the coin, because that's all it is. Exactly. I, I'd agree with that sentiment. And I wasn't even in slightly miserable, as you saw yesterday at the end of the penalty shootout. You just go, that's it. That's how no, it you struck our shoulders and we went, didn't we? I mean, that, yeah. that's it. It is what it is. You know, you just you get, you get yourself into a Zen like state for the penalties, accept it and say it's a lottery. Somebody catches it right. Goalkeeper guesses the right way. I mean, there was one that kept a, you know, he got his hand to it. If he'd have got, you know, just a little bit of more of a stronger hand to it, he would have been turning around and saying everyone's a genius. Yeah, he went just us. a bit too low. If he'd yeah. been a bit higher, he would have saved it. He dived that's under the thing it, Jamie Redknapp was saying. He didn't get close to saving a penalty. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah, but yeah. Jamie, Jamie Redknapp, look, let's not even bother. And Andy, I know you talk about, you've just got to be zen about it. Is that why he kept saying, he's going to miss? He's going to miss with each one of our players? Well, you were I, very I, nervy. I in was a zen kind of just, way. <laughs> I wasn't nervous. I was completely zen. I was just giving my opinion on the outcome of what was going to happen. <laughs> and you were wrong every time. I was, it was wrong brilliant. every time, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it was brilliant. It was so lovely to be at a game again with you and with my mate Matt and your son Harry. It just felt and great to be back. Nutters around us. Exactly. There, there were quite a few, yeah, but there you go. Chemically That's assisted football. football fans. Chemically assisted football fans, without a doubt. Um, right, look, we are so very much out of time but we should just quickly give our predictions for Luton away in the next cup. Do you know, I have a feeling that this is the year we're going to face Liverpool a couple more times. I just have a funny feeling. FA Cup, Champions League, it's all still possible. All right, so let's go. Uh, quick thoughts on Luton away. And are you going, Andy? Ah, I've got no chance of getting a ticket. We've got such a tiny allocation. I wish I could. It's just down the road from where I live. Yeah. Um, so anybody out there has got a spare loot and ticket, let me know. Uh, but Usual I, I, begging platform I, on the podcast. I very, I very, very much doubt it. Um, I, I Look, you know, a team, a couple of divisions below us, of course we should win. You know, it's a question of what team we put out, whether we're tired from the exertions of yesterday. Um, I, I, look, we should win. I, I'm going to say that this will be a uh, thrilling 3-0 win for us. Excellent. Gary, your last thoughts on Luton and the prediction, please. Well, we played them last season, didn't we? It was Lamps' last game. They're actually a decent team. And um, their manager, Nathan Jones, he, he's done a decent job there because he was there and he left for Stoke and he came back and, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, talk about, you know, the fans were upset with him and now he's won and back over. But 
you know, they're in the playoffs. The six in the championship. They're, they're, they're not a bad team. I, I know. I know their manager. I know Nathan because uh, he lives locally to me, and he came and played a charity cricket match at my cricket club. And we well, can't chatting. he get you a ticket? Um, unfortunately, not. No, and, um, and well. obviously, can't, can't he put you on the subs bench, Andy? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and not with my knees. And um, but they're a pub side. And of course, Mick Harford <laughs> uh, was there with him as well, former Chelsea player, Mick Harford. Um, so I had a good chat with him. He seems like a very uh, sensible and um, and thoughtful manager. But they are a decent team. I don't think it's going to be a walkover, but we should win. So I'm going to go 2-1. Right. There's way too many goals being bandied around here. Can I just remind you, we're not very good at scoring. <laughs> I'm going to go... I'm going to go for 1-0 Chelsea. Uh, I think we'll be in control as usual, but I think it's a 1-0. Right, Is it on look, TV? Uh, I've no idea, actually. It's a quarter past think... seven kickoff. So, yeah, it won't be on TV. Um, mm. So, no, there you go. We'll we'll have to find other ways, like listening on the radio. Um, the wireless. If it's on. The wireless, indeed. Right, we are out of time. Look. Thank you very much. Um, I know it's been quite serious in parts, the the podcast today, um, but I'd like to thank, thank Andy and Gary for, for joining in and sharing their opinions. Uh, you know, we do think of Ukraine at this time. We will continue to do so. Our thoughts are with them. So thank you, Andy. Thank you, Gary. And we'll see you all later in the week. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, Check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.